0: chapter eight of abigail adams and her times by laura elizabeth howe richards this librivox recording is in the public domain independence at last while john and abigail were tilting merrily at each other the days were hastening on and the first great climax of american history was drawing near we must turn to our histories for the account of those june days in philadelphia when the child independence was making his magical growth to manhood when it was coming to be finally realized that the country was not only ripe for independence but was in danger of becoming rotten for want of it when the notable committee of five was appointed charged with the duty of preparing a declaration of the independence of the thirteen colonies everyone knows their names roger sherman robert livingston benjamin franklin john adams thomas jefferson everyone knows that jefferson wrote the declaration yet adams it was said stood forth as the atlas of independence bearing on his shoulders the main burden of the tremendous decision we must read of it in his own words of solemn rejoicing yesterday the greatest question was decided which ever was debated in america and a greater perhaps never was nor will be decided among men A resolution was passed without one dissenting colony that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states and as such they have and of right ought to have full power to make war conclude peace establish commerce and do all the other acts and things which other states may rightfully do you will see in a few days a declaration setting forth the causes which have impelled us to this mighty revolution and the reasons which will justify it in the sight of god and man a plan of confederation will be taken up in a few days the second day of july 1776 will be the most memorable epocha in the history of america i am apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival it ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to god almighty it ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade with shows games sports guns bells bonfires and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other from this time forward for evermore you will think me transported with enthusiasm but i am not I am well aware of the toil and blood and treasure that it will cost us to maintain this declaration and support and defend these states. Yet, through all the gloom, I can see the rays of ravishing light and glory. I can see that the end is more than worth all the means, and that posterity will triumph in that day's transaction, even though we should rue it, which I trust in God we shall not. We celebrate the 4th of July, the day upon which the form of the declaration of independence was agreed to instead of the second when it was determined upon by congress it matters little these words of john adams shine like a halo round our independence day may it ever be solemnized as he would have it from this time forward for evermore we can fancy the feelings of the faithful and loving wife as she read these words which no american can ever read unmoved we can see the tears rise to her bright dark eyes tears of love and pride and trust unspeakable we can see her gathering the children round her abby and john charles and even little tommy and reading the letter out to them in faltering but exultant tones yes and we can see young john's head flung up see his dark eyes so like his mother's bright and responsive see almost the high beating of his answering heart It was their great moment we are glad to share in it even a little yet abigail's reply is sober and discreet like herself she writes by yesterday's post i received two letters dated third and fourth of july and though your letters never fail to give me pleasure be the subject what it will yet it was greatly heightened by the prospect of the future happiness and glory of our country nor am I a little gratified when I reflect that a person so nearly connected with me has had the honor of being a principal actor in laying a foundation for its future greatness. May the foundation of our new constitution be justice, truth, righteousness. Like the wise man's house, may it be founded upon these rocks, and then neither storm nor tempest will overthrow it. And again on the 21st last thursday after hearing a very good sermon i went with the multitude into king street boston to hear the proclamation for independence read and proclaimed some field-pieces with the train were brought there the troops appeared under arms and all the inhabitants assembled there the smallpox prevented many thousands from the country when colonel crafts read from the balcony of the state-house the proclamation great attention was given to every word as soon as he ended the cry from the balcony was god save our american states and then three cheers which rent the air the bells rang the privateers fired the forts and battery the cannon were discharged the platoons followed and every face appeared joyful mr Bowden then gave a sentiment stability and perpetuity to american independence after dinner the king's arms were taken down from the state-house and every vestige of him from every place in which it appeared and burnt in king street thus ends royal authority in this state and all the people shall say amen meantime a foe appeared far more terrible than any who wore a red coat though he bore the same colour a foe whose little scarlet flag still carries terror to the heart shorn as he is to-day of half his power the letters of this year are full of allusion to the smallpox in fact a fearful epidemic was raging mr adams writes in june the smallpox the smallpox what shall we do with it i could almost wish that an inoculating hospital was opened in every town in new england it is some small consolation that the scoundrel savages have taken a large dose of it they plundered the baggage and stripped the clothes of our men who had the smallpox out full upon them at the cedars vaccination was not yet but careful people were hastening to be inoculated all the country over mrs adams took all the children into boston for this purpose and a miserable time they had of it her eyes were much affected and for some days she could not write mr adams receiving no letters on july twentieth grew anxious this has been a dull day to me i waited the arrival of the post with much solicitude and impatience but his arrival made me more solicitous still to be left at the post office in your handwriting on the back of a few lines from the doctor was all that i could learn of you and my little folks if you were too busy to write i hoped that some kind hand might have been found to let me know something about you do my friends think that i have been a politician so long as to have lost all feeling do they suppose i have forgotten my wife and children or are they so panic-struck with the loss of canada as to be afraid to correspond with me or have they forgotten that you have a husband and your children a father what have i done or omitted to do that i should be thus forgotten and neglected in the most tender and affecting scene of my life don't mistake me i don't blame you your time and thoughts must have been wholly taken up with your own and your family's situation and necessities but twenty other persons might have informed me i suppose that you intended to have run slyly through the small-pox with the family without letting me know it and then have set me an account that you were all well this might be a kind intention and if the design had succeeded would have made me very joyous but the secret is out and i am left to conjecture but as the faculty have this distemper so much under command i will flatter myself with the hope and expectation of soon hearing of your recovery a few days later he writes how are you all this morning sick weak faint in pain or pretty well recovered by this time you are well acquainted with the small-pox pray how do you like it he had been inoculated himself and knew all about it he longed to send some comforting thing to his beloved and fixed upon a canister of green tea for which she had sometimes sighed though she would not buy it he sent the tea by a friend mr gary an old bachelor and what is worse a politician i must add what is worse still an absent-minded person For he carried the tea to mrs samuel adams who received it with great delight meantime john adams was flattering himself that his abigail amidst all her fatigues and distresses was having the poor relief of a dish of good tea mr gary returned to philadelphia and mr adams meeting him asked without a misgiving you delivered the tea yes to mr samuel adams lady poor john he was so vexed that he ordered another canister and sent it by a surer hand he bids his wife send a card to mrs s a and let her know that the canister was intended for you and she may send it you if she chooses as it was charged to me it is amazingly dear nothing less than forty shillings lawful money a pound meantime abigail was writing the herbs you mention i never received i was upon a visit to mrs s adams about a week after mr garry returned when she entertained me with a very fine dish of green tea the scarcity of the article made me ask her where she got it she replied that her sweetheart sent it to her by mr garry i said nothing but thought my sweetheart might have been equally kind considering the disease i was visited with and that it was recommended as a bracer a little after you mentioned a couple of bundles sent i supposed one of them might contain the article but found they were letters how mr Garry should make such a mistake i know not i shall take the liberty of sending for what is left of it though i suppose it is half gone as it is very freely used if you had mentioned a single word of it in your letter i should have immediately found out the mistake moral don't send surprises unless you are sure of the hand by which they are sent there are no letters between October seventeen seventy six and January seventeen seventy seven, which means that John Adams had a happy visit at home with his dear ones. A winter, too, of tremendous excitement, of breathless waiting for mails and dispatches. We can see mr Adams in his armchair one January day trying to read, let us say, Xenophon. He would be good reading in those days. One eye on the book, the other out of the window madame abigail opposite with abby beside her both at their tambour work isn't it time he was here says mr adams for the tenth time and he gets up and starts on parasangs of his own up and down the room madame abigail probably suggests patience after the manner of women but she looks out of the window just as often as he does at last at last comes the clatter of hoofs the post-writer only nine years old and he has ridden all the way from boston is here the gate clicks and master johnny's legs come flying up the path he is waving a paper over his head i don't know who gets to the door first but i seem to see the head of the family tearing the dispatch open in unstatesmanlike haste on christmas night he reads general washington crossed the delaware above trenton amid ice and snow storm and tempest he surprised the british camp captured a thousand hessians and carried them off with him to pennsylvania glory glory stay there is more on the second of january he was once more face to face with the british at trenton surrounded by them they had him fast i have the old fox pen chuckles cornwallis i'll bag him in the morning but morning showed a row of empty earthworks and the fox and his cubs well on their way to princeton where they fell upon another body of british routed them in twenty minutes and carried off three hundred of them with much ammunition and arms whereof they to wit fox and cubs stood grievously in need this was the gist of the dispatch i do not pretend to give its wording but fancy the effect of it however worded upon the quiet braintree household john and charles and even little tommy dancing up and down in their flapped waistcoats shouting and huzzaing, Abby, very likely shedding tears of happiness over her tambour frame father john striding up and down the room again but now in a different mood probably declaiming lines from horace in a voice that will not allow itself to tremble mother abigail trying still to be portia and to pretend that she knows one end of the needle from the other a pleasant picture indeed and who knows possibly not so far from the truth all the harder was it amid all these great happenings for mr adams to mount and ride leaving his dear ones to face the winter without him but mount he must and did he writes on his way back to philadelphia present my affection in the tenderest manner to my little deserving daughter and my amiable sons it was cruel parting this morning my heart was most deeply affected although i had the presence of mind to appear composed may god almighty's providence protect you my dear and all our little ones my good genius my guardian angel whispers me that we shall see happier days and that i shall live to enjoy the felicities of domestic life with her whom my heart esteems above all earthly blessings the war began to press heavily on new england housekeepers prices went steadily up and the necessities of life became hard to procure abigail writes in april of seventeen seventy seven indian corn at five shillings rye eleven and twelve shillings but scarcely any to be had even at that price beef eight pence veal sixpence and eight pence butter one and sixpence mutton none lamb none pork none cotton wool none mean sugar four pounds per hundred molasses none new england rum eight shillings per gallon coffee two and sixpence per pound chocolate three shillings she tells at the same time a curious story of five tories being carted out of town under the direction of joyce jr for refusing to take the paper money of the new republic joyce jr was a name which might be assumed by any patriot who wished to redress a grievance he wore a horrible mask and in this case was mounted on horseback with a red coat a white wig and a drawn sword with drum and fife following a concourse of people to the amount of five hundred followed they proceeded as far as roxbury when he ordered the cart to be tipped up then told them if they were ever caught in town again it should be at the expense of their lives he then ordered his gang to return which they did immediately without any disturbance in july it is the women who take matters into their own hands you must know writes abigail that there is a great scarcity of sugar and coffee articles which the female part of the state is very loath to give up especially whilst they consider the scarcity occasioned by the merchants having secreted a large quantity there had been much rout and noise in the town for several weeks some stores had been opened by a number of people and the coffee and sugar carried into the market and dealt out by pounds it was rumoured that an eminent wealthy stingy merchant who is a bachelor had a hogshead of coffee in his store which he refused to sell to the committee under six shillings per pound a number of females some say a hundred some say more assembled with a cart and trucks marched down to the warehouse and demanded the keys which he refused to deliver upon which one of them seized him by his neck and tossed him into the cart upon his finding no quarter he delivered the keys when they tipped up the cart and discharged him then opened the warehouse, hoisted out the coffee themselves, put it into the trucks, and drove off. It was reported that he had personal chastisement among them, but this, I believe, was not true. A large concourse of men stood amazed, silent spectators of the whole transaction. This delighted John. You have made me merry," he writes, with the female frolic with the miser but i hope the females will leave off their attachment to coffee i assure you the best families in this place have left off in great measure the use of west india goods we must bring ourselves to live upon the produce of our own country what would i give for some of your cider milk has become the breakfast of many of the wealthiest and genteelest families here in august a report was spread that howe's fleet was off cape ann boston took the alarm and all was confusion people packing up and carting out of town their household goods military stores in fact everything that was portable abigail writes not less than a thousand teams were employed on friday and saturday and to their shame be it told not a small trunk would they carry under eight dollars and many of them i am told asked a hundred dollars a load For carting a hogshead of molasses eight miles thirty dollars o human nature or rather o inhuman nature what art thou the report of the fleets being seen off cape ann friday night gave me alarm and though pretty weak i set about packing up my things and on saturday removed a load when i looked around me and beheld the bounties of heaven so liberally bestowed in fine fields of corn grass flax and english grain and thought it might soon become a prey to these merciless ravagers our habitations laid waste and if our flight preserved our lives we must return to barren fields empty barns and desolate habitations if any we find perhaps not where to lay our heads my heart was too full to bear the weight of affliction which i thought just ready to overtake us and my body too weak almost to bear the shock unsupported by my better half but thanks be to heaven we are at present relieved from our fears respecting ourselves i now feel anxious for your safety but hope prudence will direct to a proper care and attention to yourselves may this second attempt of howe's prove his utter ruin may destruction overtake him as a whirlwind john's reply to this letter is characteristic i think i have sometimes observed to you in conversation that upon examining the biography of illustrious men you will generally find some female about them in the relation of mother or wife or sister to whose instigation a great part of their merit is to be ascribed you will find a curious case of this in the case of aspasia the wife of pericles she was a woman of the greatest beauty and the first genius she taught him it is said his refined maxims of policy his lofty imperial eloquence nay even composed the speeches on which so great a share of his reputation was founded i wish some of our great men had such wives by the account in your last letter it seems the women in boston begin to think themselves able to serve their country what a pity it is that our generals in the northern districts had not aspasias to their wives i believe the two Howes have not very great women for wives if they had we should suffer more from their exertions than we do this is our good fortune a woman of good sense would not let her husband spend five weeks at sea in such a season of the year a smart wife would have put Howe in possession of philadelphia a long time ago a week later he writes if Howe has gone to charleston you will have a little quiet and enjoy your corn and rye and flax and hay and other good things until another summer but what shall we do for sugar and wine and rum why truly i believe we must leave them off loaf sugar is only four dollars a pound here and brown only a dollar for the meanest sort and ten shillings for that a little better everybody here is leaving off loaf sugar and most are laying aside brown still the prices rose and rose on august twenty ninth, john quotes prices current four pounds a week for board besides finding your own washing shaving candles liquors pipes tobaccos wood etc thirty shillings a week for a servant it ought to be thirty shillings for a gentleman and four pounds for the servant because he generally eats twice as much and makes twice as much trouble shoes five dollars a pair salt twenty-seven dollars a bushel butter ten shillings a pound punch twenty shillings a bowl all the old women and young children are gone down to the jersey shore to make salt salt water is boiling all round the coast and i hope it will increase for it is nothing but heedlessness and shiftlessness that prevents us from making salt enough for a supply but necessity will bring us to it as to sugar molasses rum etc we must leave them off whiskey is used here instead of rum and i don't see but it is just as good of this the wheat and rye countries can easily distill enough for the use of the country if i could get cider i would be content in september he describes at length the making of molasses out of corn stalks scarcely a town or parish within forty miles of us but what has several mills at work and had the experiment been made a month sooner many thousand barrels would have been made no less than eighty have been made in the small town of manchester it answers very well to distil and may be boiled down to sugar thus you see he adds we go from step to step in our improvements we can live much better than we deserve within ourselves why should we borrow foreign luxuries why should we wish to bring ruin upon ourselves i feel as contented when i have breakfasted upon milk as ever i did with hyson or souchong coffee and sugar i use only as a rarity there are none of these things but i could totally renounce my dear friend knows that i could always conform to times and circumstances and yet i know nothing of hardships my children have never cried for bread nor been destitute of clothing nor have the poor and needy gone empty from my door whenever it was in my power to assist them though the patriot ladies were ready enough to do without hyson or souchong they none the less greatly desired a cheering cup of something and managed to get it without tax or expense we read of tea made from ribwort from sage from thoroughwort from strawberry and currant leaves hyperion tea called by a good patriot very delicate and most excellent was made from raspberry leaves liberty tea from the four-leaved so there was great boiling and steeping going on and every housewife who had a garden patch or who was near enough the woods and fields to go out yarb gathering could be sure of a dish of tea without thought of king george or his myrmidons there was a great harvest in this year seventeen seventy seven once more mother nature proclaimed herself on the side of independence the valleys lay so thick with corn that they did laugh and sing most of the able-bodied men being in the field for the war was now in full swing there were not enough hands to gather in the crops abigail fears that if it is necessary to make any more draughts upon us the women must reap the harvests and adds i am willing to do my part i believe i could gather corn and husk it but i should make a poor figure at digging potatoes indeed most of the harvesting that autumn was done by women aided by old men and young boys delicate ladies sturdy farmers wives and daughters they worked side by side and we read that towards the end of august at the forks of brandywine girls were harnessing the ploughs and preparing fallows for the seed on the very fields where a twelvemonth from that date a costly crop of human life was reaped the reader of this little book holding it in his right hand should hold in his left a history of the united states and should have an atlas handy by far and wide the war spread campaign followed campaign new york white plains crown point our affair is not with them but with our faithful married lovers still separated by the long leagues that lie between massachusetts and pennsylvania i must however describe briefly what happened in and near philadelphia where john adams and his brother Congressmen were sitting all through the spring and summer washington had been harrying the british with varying fortunes on august twenty fourth he entered philadelphia with his army four regiments of light horse writes john adams four grand divisions of infantry and the artillery with the matrosses. they marched twelve deep and yet took up above two hours in passing by washington led the march and beside him rode the young marquis de lafayette newly arrived a lad of nineteen who had left his young wife and his brilliant circle to lay his sword at the feet of the american republic this dress parade was not a magnificent one the soldiers boots were worn through their clothes were ragged and of every hue and style the least badly dressed among them we are told were those who wore the hunting shirt of brown linen but the brown faces above the shirts were strong and keen and alight with purpose and resolve their horses were in prime condition the green boughs they wore lent a touch of colour there was even a hint of splendour where the stars and stripes newly assembled fluttered on the breeze fine and warlike troops lafayette pronounced them commanded by officers of zeal and courage john adams writes in sober exultation to portia the army upon an accurate inspection of it i find to be extremely well armed pretty well clothed and tolerably disciplined there is such a mixture of the sublime and the beautiful together with the useful in military discipline that i wonder every officer we have is not charmed with it mr adams after watching the parade is convinced that he in military life should be a decisive disciplinarian i am convinced there is no other effective way of indulging benevolence humanity and the tender social passions in the army there is no other way of preserving the health and spirits of the men there is no other way of making them active and skilful in war no other way of guarding an army against destruction by surprises and no other method of giving them confidence in one another of making them stand by one another in the hour of battle discipline in an army is like the laws of civil society dark days followed howe had landed with fresh troops of highly trained soldiers bent on taking philadelphia and driving out the rebel congress on september eleventh mr adams writes the moments are critical here we know not but the next will bring us an account of a general engagement begun and when once begun we know not how it will end for the battle is not always to the strong but if it should be the will of heaven that our army should be defeated our artillery lost our best generals killed and philadelphia fall in mr howe's hands still america is not conquered three days later brandywine was lost and won then came the fatal night of Paoli, when anthony wayne first measured swords with cornwallis and found his own the shorter and on september twenty sixth the british army entered philadelphia don't be anxious about me john adams had written on the fourteenth nor about our great and sacred cause it is the cause of truth and will prevail on the nineteenth congress yielding to the inevitable removed to yorktown and there continued its work mr adams describing the removal briefly says i shall avoid everything like history and make no reflections i hastened to follow his example and return to braintree on october twenty fifth seventeen seventy seven abigail writes the joyful news of the surrender at saratoga of general burgoyne and all his army to our victorious troops prompted me to take a ride this afternoon with my daughter to town to join to-morrow with my friends in thanksgiving and praise to the supreme being who hath so remarkably delivered our enemies into our hands and hearing that an express is to go off to-morrow morning i have retired to write you a few lines i have received no letters from you since you left philadelphia by the post and but one by any private hand i have written you once before this do not fail of writing by the return of this express and direct your letters to the care of my uncle who has been a kind and faithful hand to me through the whole season and a constant attendant upon the post office the leagues were to stretch yet farther between portia and her dearest friend a month after this mr adams asked and obtained leave of congress to visit his family mounted his horse and rode joyfully home to braintree we can well imagine the rejoicings that greeted his return but they were short-lived he had barely reached home when word came that he was appointed ambassador to france and that the frigate boston was being prepared to carry him thither as soon as possible here was a thunderbolt indeed weary and worn after four years of incessant labor john adams had longed almost passionately for the joys and comfort of home life and family affection he weighed the matter well The probability of capture on the high seas of imprisonment or execution in england the needs of his family which he had been forced to neglect these four years past my children were growing up without my care in their education and all my emoluments as a member of congress for four years had not been sufficient to pay a laboring man upon my farm on the other hand my country was in deep distress and in great danger her dearest interests would be involved in relations she might form with foreign nations my own plan of these relations had been deliberately formed and fully communicated to congress nearly two years before the confidence of my country was committed to me without my solicitation my wife who had always encouraged and animated me in all antecedent dangers and perplexities did not fail me on this occasion but she discovered an inclination to bear me company with all our children. This proposal, however, she was soon convinced, was too hazardous and imprudent. Help from France was imperative. Franklin was already there, but greatly needing stronger support. There was no real question of John Adams' decision. It was soon made, his faithful Portia acquiescing without a murmur. She even agreed to Johnny's going with his father, or proposed it, we know not which and preparations were made for the departure fortunately the frigate took longer to prepare than the trunks it was not till february that all was ready and the final parting came had it been known that even while he was embarking a treaty was being signed in paris between france and america this parting might have been delayed mr adams's diary gives us glimpses of the voyage which was a stormy one and threatened other dangers besides they fell in with some british ships and one of them gave chase when the night approached the wind died away and we were left rolling and pitching in a calm with our guns all out our courses drawn up and every way prepared for battle the officers and men appeared in good spirits and captain tucker said his orders were to carry me to france and to take any prizes that might fall in his way he thought it his duty therefore to avoid fighting especially with an unequal force if he could but if he could not avoid an engagement he would give them something that should make them remember him i said and did all in my power to encourage the officers and men to fight them to the last extremity my motives were more urgent than theirs for it will easily be believed that it would have been more eligible for me to be killed on board the boston or sunk to the bottom in her than to be taken prisoner i sat in the cabin at the windows in the stern and saw the enemy gaining upon us very fast she appearing to have a breeze of wind while we had none our powder cartridges and balls were placed by the guns and everything ready to begin the action although it was calm on the surface of the sea where we lay the heavens had been gradually overspread with black clouds and the wind began to spring up our ship began to move the night came on and it was soon dark we lost sight of our enemy who did not appear to me very ardent to overtake us but the wind increased to a hurricane the hurricane proved a terrible one the diary tells us it would be fruitless to attempt a description of what i heard saw and felt during these three days and nights to describe the ocean the waves the winds the ship her motions rollings ringing and agonies the sailors their countenances language and behaviour is impossible no man could keep upon his legs and nothing could be kept in its place a universal wreck of everything in all parts of the ship chests casks bottles etc no place or person was dry on one of these nights a thunderbolt struck three men upon deck and wounded one of them a little by a scorch upon his shoulder it also struck our main-top-mast it is of great satisfaction to me however to recollect that i was myself perfectly calm during the whole i found by the opinion of the people aboard and of the captain himself that we were in danger and of this i was certain also from my own observation but i thought myself in the way of my duty and i did not repent of my voyage i confess i often regretted that i had brought my son i was not so clear that it was my duty to expose him as myself but i had been led to it by the child's inclination and by the advice of all of my friends my johnny's behavior gave me a satisfaction that i cannot express fully sensible of our danger he was constantly endeavoring to bear it with a manly patience very attentive to me and his thoughts constantly running in a serious strain a few days later came a yet more thrilling event the log of the boston says saw a ship to the southeast standing to the westward asked the favor of the hon john adams to chase which was immediately granted made sail and gave chase at three p m came up with the chase gave her a gun and she returned me three one shot of which carried away my mizzen yard she immediately struck out boat got the prisoners on board she proved the ship martha from london bound to new york i ordered a prize-master on board intending to send her to france but on consulting mr adams he thought most advisable to send her to america thus commodore tucker commander of the boston brief and business-like mr adams notes that she was a letter of mark with fourteen guns she fired upon us and one of her shot went through our mizzen yard i happened to be upon the quarter-deck and in the direction from the ship to the yard so that the ball went directly over my head we upon this turned our broadside which the instant she saw she struck captain tucker very prudently ordered his officers not to fire i happened to be upon the quarter-deck mr adams what were you doing on the quarter-deck you certainly had no business there during a battle log and diary are equally discreet but in his later years commodore tucker used to tell the story of that hour how on discovering the enemy's ship neither he nor mr adams could resist the temptation to engage although against the dictates of prudent duty tucker however stipulated that mr adams should remain in the lower part of the ship as a place of safety but no sooner had the battle commenced than he was seen on deck with a musket in his hands fighting as a common marine the commodore peremptorily ordered him below but called instantly away it was not until considerable time had elapsed that he discovered this public minister still at his post intently engaged in firing upon the enemy advancing he exclaimed why are you here sir i am commanded by the continental congress to carry you in safety to europe and i will do it and seizing him in his arms forcibly carried him from the scene of danger i trust master johnny was safe in his cabin while all this was going on be very sure that portia was never told of it or at least not till long afterward she poor lady was meantime cheering herself as well as she could visiting the french fleet just arrived in boston harbor and entertaining some of its officers who she thought were being neglected in boston town generals heath and hancock have done their part but very few if any private families have any acquaintance with them perhaps i feel more anxious to have them distinguished on account of the near and dear connections i have among them it would gratify me much if i had it in my power to entertain every officer in the fleet this letter was written i think on a tired or discouraged day for in it we actually find portia reproaching her john a strange thing indeed his first letter had been all too short for her anxious heart in the very few lines i have received from you not the least mention is made that you have ever received a line from me i have not been so parsimonious as my friend perhaps i am not so prudent but i cannot take my pen with my heart overflowing and not give utterance to some of the abundance which is in it could you after a thousand fears and anxieties long expectation and painful suspense be satisfied with my telling you that i was well that i wished you were with me that my daughter sent her duty that i had ordered some articles for you which i hoped would arrive etc etc by heaven if you could you have changed hearts with some frozen laplander or made a voyage to a region that has chilled every drop of your blood but i will restrain a pen already i fear too rash nor shall it tell you how much i have suffered from this appearance of inattention she adds that the articles sent by captain tucker have arrived safe and will be of great service to me our money is very little better than blank paper it takes forty dollars to purchase a barrel of cider fifty pounds lawful for a hundred of sugar and fifty dollars for a hundred of flour four dollars per day for a laborer and find him which will amount to four more you will see by bills drawn before the date of this that i had taken the method which i was happy in finding you had directed me to i shall draw for the rest as i find my situation requires no article that can be named foreign or domestic but what costs more than double in hard money what it once sold for poor portia poor john some of the letters she longed for were taken by the enemy and thrown overboard john was writing constantly and portia's complaining letter was not a consoling one to receive in europe the dullest place in the world as he calls it on december second seventeen seventy eight he writes for heaven's sake my dear don't indulge a thought that it is possible for me to neglect or forget all that is dear to me in this world it is impossible for me to write as i did in america what should i write it is not safe to write anything that one is not willing should go into all the newspapers of the world i know not by whom to write i never know what conveyance is safe i know nothing of many vessels that go from the seaports and if i knew of all there are some that i should not trust notwithstanding all this i have written to you not much less than fifty letters i am astonished that you have received no more but almost every vessel is taken god knows i don't spend my time in idleness or in gazing at curiosities i never wrote more letters however empty they may have been but by what i hear they have been all or nearly all taken or sunk my friends complain that they have not received letters from me i may as well complain i have received scarcely any letters from america i have written three where i have received one on sunday evening december twenty seventh abigail writes a letter that makes our hearts ache with her how lonely are my days how solitary are my nights secluded from all society but my two little boys and my domestics by the mountains of snow which surround me i could almost fancy myself in greenland we have had four of the coldest days i ever knew and they were followed by the severest snowstorm i ever remember the wind blowing like a hurricane for fifteen or twenty hours rendered it impossible for man or beast to live abroad and has blocked up the roads so that they are impassable a week ago i parted with my daughter at the request of our plymouth friends to spend a month with them so that i am solitary indeed can the best of friends recollect that for fourteen years past i have not spent a whole winter alone some part of the dismal season has heretofore been mitigated and softened by the social converse and participation of the friend of my youth how insupportable the idea that three thousand miles in the vast ocean now divide us but divide only our persons for the heart of my friend is in the bosom of his partner more than half a score of years has so riveted it there that the fabric which contains it must crumble into dust ere the particles can be separated for in one fate our hearts our fortunes and our beings blend i cannot describe to you how much i was affected the other day with a scotch song which was sung to me by a young lady in order to divert a melancholy hour but it had quite a different effect and the native simplicity of it had all the power of a well-wrought tragedy when i could conquer my sensibility i begged the song and master charles has learned it and consoles his mamma by singing it to her i will enclose it to you it has beauties in it to me which an indifferent person would not feel perhaps his very foot has music in it as he comes up the stairs how oft has my heart danced to the sound of that music and shall i see his face again and shall i hear him speak gracious heaven hear and answer my daily petition by banishing all my grief i am sometimes quite discouraged from writing so many vessels are taken that there is little chance of a letter's reaching your hands that i meet with so few returns is a circumstance that lies heavy at my heart if this finds its way to you it will go by the alliance by her i have written before she has not yet sailed and i love to amuse myself with my pen and pour out some of the tender sentiments of a heart overflowing with affection not for the eye of a cruel enemy who no doubt would ridicule every humane and social sentiment long ago grown callous to the finer sensibilities but for the sympathetic heart that beats in unison with portia's john replies to this dr j is transcribing your scotch song which is a charming one. Oh, my leaping heart i must not write a word to you about politics because you are a woman what an offence have i committed a woman i shall soon make it up i think women better than men in general and i know that you can keep a secret as well as any man whatever but the world don't know this therefore if i were to write my sentiments to you and the letter should be caught and hitched into a newspaper the world would say i was not to be trusted with a secret to us it need be no secret that there were divisions in the american legation at paris franklin was at odds with his colleagues who seemed to have been more hindrance than help to him moreover congress in the excitement of the treaty forgot for a time all about john adams and his mission in short he came too late for the fair found no orders and little to do, save talk with the old philosopher and the comte de Vergennes. Now and then the diary gives us a sidelight on Franklin. Dr. Franklin, upon my saying the other day that I fancied he did not exercise so much as he was wont, answered, Yes, I walk a league every day in my chamber. I walk quick and for an hour, so that I go a league. I make a point of religion of it. I replied, That is the commandment thou shalt not kill forbids a man to kill himself as well as his neighbour it was manifestly a breach of the sixth commandment not to exercise so that he might easily prove it to be a religious point john adams could not be idle i cannot eat pensions and sinecures he writes they would stick in my throat he was in no mood to follow franklin's advice and wait quietly for further orders there was nothing for him to do and he would go home in the first available ship accordingly on june seventeenth seventeen seventy nine he sailed on the sensible with son john beside him and that episode was closed all this time the war was going on and prices were rising abigail blushes while giving john the prices current all butchers meat from a dollar to eight shillings per pound corn twenty five dollars rye thirty per bushel flour fifty pounds per hundred potatoes ten dollars per bushel butter twelve shillings a pound cheese eight sugar twelve shillings a pound molasses twelve dollars per gallon labor six and eight dollars a day a common cow from sixty to seventy pounds and all english goods in proportion by march labor was eight dollars per day with twelve dollars in prospect goods of all kinds at such a price that abigail hardly dares mention it linens are sold at twenty dollars per yard the most ordinary set of calicoes at thirty and forty broadcloths at forty pounds per yard west india goods full as high molasses at twenty dollars per gallon sugar four dollars per pound boheed tea at forty dollars and our own produce in proportion butchers' meat at six and eight shillings per pound, board at fifty and sixty dollars per week. She adds, In contemplation of my situation, I am sometimes thrown into an agony of distress. Distance, dangers, and... Oh, I cannot name all the fears which sometimes oppress me, and harrow up my soul. Yet must the common lot of man one day take place, whether we dwell in our own native land or are far distant from it that we rest under the shadow of the almighty is the consolation to which i resort and find that comfort which the world cannot give if he sees best to give me back my friend or to preserve my life to him it will be so she little thought that even while she wrote her friend was spreading his wings or rather the broad white wings of the frigate sensible for his homeward flight End of chapter Eight.